0: God bless, guys, and welcome once again to Research Podcast. And on today's episode, we get to embark on a doctrine that has been constantly being debated over and have even people express their absolute hatred towards this particular doctrine. Uh, I've had people get upset with me, get angry with me when this this doctrine is shared or discussed uh, amongst believers. Uh, I remember as well when I was in Bible college that one of my teachers for a certain class expressed her absolute hatred towards this doctrine uh, and banned anyone from speaking or discussing this doctrine in her classroom. She expressed how the God that is revealed through this doctrine is not the God that she serves. And I've seen throughout my experience that this has always been a doctrine that has been a sensitive topic for most, to say the least. It brings out emotions. Uh, and, and I'm excited for it, not because of the fact that it, it, it brings controversy. I'm excited because of what it does reveal to us about God, uh, that it isn't exactly how many people view it, when you look at scripture what does scripture tell us about this doctrine it's actually something very wonderful and so in that regards i'm excited i know and understand that people some people don't like it but though that may be certain i'm 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 fairly certain also that they're not even aware of as to why they themselves don't like this doctrine i'm sure that um that when you come to see this in scripture, you you begin to see the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God. And I'm equally certain that those who have been keeping up with our foundation series, if you've been listening on, I thank you so much for that. I'm sure that you may have been able to see this coming, that this eventually was going to lead to, uh, to a talk on predestination. And here we are. And the reason for that is because we couldn't do or consider addressing the doctrine of predestination until we labored in explaining certain other doctrines like the doctrine of man and of regeneration, um, because they, they lay a great foundation for the doctrine of predestination, because truthfully, the doctrine of predestination is actually not as difficult of a doctrine to kind of wrap our minds around. It's a doctrine that is actually quite simple and straightforward. It's not, comparatively speaking, it's not as complex as, let's say, the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, that, you know, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how they are all God, how they are distinct, and yet how they all are one. Uh, you know, and searching those out in scriptures to find that it's a little bit more challenging. But the doctrine of predestination is one that comes a lot more easier. You can almost practically just open up your Bible to any any part of the Bible and you will see glimpses of predestination. Right. You, you see it right from the beginning that it is God that initiates everything here. Um, that that we see here, you know, God creates, God comes down, God speaks, God changes, God does this, it is God that does that. God, 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 God. And it's just God all throughout. And so the doctrine of predestination is not too hard of a doctrine to grasp. It's just a hard doctrine to accept. I think that is the case. Um, And just as a, a quick recap, I just want to quickly sum up in a in a brief manner, the two doctrines that we've considered in the previous uh, previous uh, podcast, you know, those two doctrines that we've we've wrapped up and, and considered in, a, in really briefly, um, and that is the doctrine of of man, the nature of man, and the the doctrine of regeneration. Those were the two doctrines that we've looked at. Before this one. So if you haven't checked those podcasts out, those episodes out under our foundation series, I just want to encourage you to check that out. If you can, it will just explain things a little bit more clearer and coming into this doctrine, it might become a little bit more easier to understand. But just as a a means to kind of recap and refresh our minds as to what we saw. In, that, in those two doctrines, we began this series, if you recall, with a look at the nature of man. And that it is in and of itself fallen. That's essentially what it is. That we are fallen people. We are, uh, are sinful. And it was even described to us in scripture as being dead. We were considered to be spiritually dead and in short it revealed to us this incapability to save ourselves from our inevitable path to eternal damnation that is essentially what that doctrine teaches and then we considered the doctrine of regeneration which kind of flows out from that in that we kind of jump off from the nature of man and reflected upon the truth that if it If we are incapable of getting ourselves out of this predicament, we required the help of God. And so we consider the way in which God did this, and that is through regeneration, which means that God does a work in us in where he changes our nature. He changes us from having a dead nature to a living nature. He gives us a heart that is of flesh by removing firstly the heart that is of stone. Essentially, he brings us to life that we may respond to him in obedient faith. And that's what regeneration is, and that that is a work of God. So that is what we started off with, that without this initial working of God in our lives, there will be no one who will be saved. So God has to do this work in us. And so naturally, this leads us to predestination that since we are incapable of saving ourselves, um, nor do we have any real inclination towards it to be honest because as we were looking at you know these two doctrines we we kept on seeing this this teaching that we we actually long to live in sin we love we enjoy it so we're not even trying to be saved We, we we love the fact that we are are sinners and we enjoy that aspect of our lives so not only are we incapable we don't really want to be saved i mean the only thing that we are really wanting to be saved from is to be saved from hell from punishment that is probably the the fundamental thing that that everyone has is that we all want to be saved from hell but that is not what god does god doesn't save us just from hell he actually saves us um yes he saves us from the wrath of god but he also saves us onto god and that's the part that most men don't want to be saved onto God, to, to be a part of God, you know, to worship God. But that is essentially what we are. So, anyways, so we see here that we are incapable of saving ourselves, But since we are unable or undeserving of being saved in our in our natural state, God steps in and changes our nature that we may express our love and faith in God. So God does this work. And since it is only God, or since it is only of God, then it leads us to this doctrine that it is based upon God's right to elect for himself a saved people for his glory. That's that's it in a nutshell. That's it. So we have been doing this series uh for quite some time now and and we we will begin like as you we've been doing so for so so certain time is we'll start off with a new testament passage uh, as our foundation hence the foundation series and also uh you know it's it's basic doctrines that we build upon and and have a clear understanding of scripture but that's how we've been doing it we start off with a a text as our foundation, and then we build from there. And then from there on, we move on to the Old Testament writings, and then into the New Testament epistles, and then we finish off with the words of Jesus, with the words of our Lord and Savior. And so that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it with that. So today, we're just going to consider a text, give a couple of thoughts on it, and then in the next episode, we will look at the Old Testament, the New Testament epistles, and the words Jesus so let's get straight to it let's go back to the book of Ephesians which is what we were looking at last time as well but this time we're heading backwards to the beginning of that book starting off with chapter one and we'll be reading verse three to six and the word of God says this blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. In the Beloved. And we leave it there. Wow. What a text to consider. And unfortunately, this portion is not enough to satisfy the inquisitive minds of the people. But praise be to God that this is not something that is taught solely from this text alone. But as I mentioned, it is scattered throughout all of scripture where you can almost practically just open up scripture at any point and see or identify this doctrine and so that we are left without any excuse as to why we don't believe this to be true. So allow me then to kind of begin with this very I guess the very evident problem that most people have with this biblical teaching or should I say one of many problems that they have with this but let me start off with this and to begin with, allow me just to begin by presenting to you the problem and the reason why we have this issue with this, this doctrine. And, and that problem doesn't lie, let me just start off by saying this, that it doesn't lie with God. Like our actual problem really isn't with God or the God that, that is presented to us through scripture, through this doctrine, but rather it lies with man and man's pride because it is challenged by God's sovereignty. It is challenged by God's uh, right to choose or elect a people for salvation. You know, the initial problem we have with this doctrine is that we are stripped away from any criteria that we could use to basically determine or place judgment on God. To evaluate whether God is just or whether God is, is, you know, is a just God in electing. How does God choose essentially is what we are uh, deprived of from this doctrine. What do we mean by this? Well, Well, what is it that God has revealed to man as to how he chooses his elect? What is it? On what basis does he base this election on? Well, all that scripture tells us is that it stems purely and solely from His mercy. That's what scripture tells us. That it is only from His mercy that that is the reason or from where He's choosing or electing a people for salvation. Well, when we are told that this is His criteria that He uses, it is purely His mercy, then we're left empty-handed. We're left with this kind of like feeling of uncertainty and honestly, that is that feeling, that ugly feeling that we're left with, that we feel uncomfortable and hence, because it makes us so uncomfortable, we disagree with this doctrine or we dislike this doctrine or we dislike the God that is presented to us. Through this doctrine. Because we are left vulnerable. And we don't like to feel like this. We love to feel as though we are in control of our own lives. And and we are the the captain of our ships. That we are steering our, our lives in the direction that we want. And that is something that this doctrine takes away from us. Because if God were to say, instead of mercy, let's say God says that I am choosing based upon behavior. Based upon uh, whether or not you do good deeds or whether or not you're a good person. Then we could consider, though foolishly, think to ourselves that we can attain a certain degree of goodness. We can then take that and say, okay... This is the criteria. He's basing it on behavior. And then we could say to God, Oh God, this is what we consider to be good enough. And we start laying a law over God, essentially. Where we just go up to Him and say, This is what we think is is worthy of, of salvation, is worthy of heaven. But because God doesn't give us anything like that, because we are given none of that, that it is purely dependent upon His will, His mercy, and His grace, it is something that cannot be measured. It is something that that isn't tangible to us, that we can kind of adapt it into a checklist, and then kind of cross it off into into, um, you know, whether we're doing it or not. We, we can't do that with mercy. We can't do that with grace. We can't do that with what God tells us, He, about His will. It's easy when you say it, if you just keep the Ten Commandments and you just checklist it. And if you, 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 you do good, you're going to get to heaven. But that's not what Scripture tells us. So our issue then is the fact that we have nothing tangible to work with so that we may own our way to salvation. And that's exactly the problem with this doctrine that we have, humanly speaking. That we are stripped away from earning salvation. That we are not given any leeway in terms of being able to say or accredit to ourselves that we can achieve this in our own strength. I mean, we, humanly speaking, think that we can change the world if we all just do this or do that or do this. like, no, we can't. I mean, time and time again, you, you see that if we are left to ourselves, we just make things a whole lot more worse but the second issue flows out from the first and we've already kind of touched on that and that is since we are left without any criteria of which we can kind of then critique him on choosing or his you know his uh, the, the the basis that he uses We're left without any means through which we can then attain salvation. And that's essentially what we circle back around to this truth that we cannot save ourselves, but we are utterly dependent upon the mercy of God, that there is absolutely nothing that we can do that can merit us or make us acceptable in the sight of God. We kind of go back to that same doctrine of the fallen nature of man that That there is nothing in us that would make God say he deserves heaven. He deserves salvation. The biggest struggle that people have in church today or are facing today is this misconception that we are the ones that are held responsible for choosing Jesus as our salvation. The problem is... That you've already made that choice in your life. It's not that you need to make... You've already made that choice. You've already rebelled against God. You know, modern day church has adopted this decision-making process towards salvation where we determine or we evaluate whether Christ is the right choice for our lives. All right. That's the way church is presented or, or that's the way the church is now presenting the gospel. That's the era of modern day church when scripture is clear that we have already made up our minds to rebel against God. We start off this way. We love our sin and we lead our life in that direction towards damnation. That's the biggest problem we have. See, when you come to this doctrine and and, and see that it is purely based upon the mercy of God, it It humbles us and we don't like to be humbled. But when you think upon, like just recently we were looking at the prodigal son. We see here that when the the prodigal son comes to his senses, so to speak. The thing that he throws himself to his father was to the mercy of his father. It wasn't, okay, I'm good enough. Okay, I'm if I do this, I can get back into his good graces. No, he throws himself at the mercy of his father because that is the only thing he knows that could save him. It is the mercy of his father. Alright? And, and that's why Jesus spent so much time in, in presenting this prodigal son as the most undesirable thing out there to his Jewish hearers. He is so undesirable. But he's showing you something about who God is in the portrayal of the Father. That he is a merciful God. And so it is at the mercy of God that we must throw ourselves to. Because he is full of mercies. His mercies are new every day. It is his mercy that we must throw ourselves to. Not come to him with this is what I did. I'm good like this. This is what I've achieved. I've done this today. No, none of that. It is purely throwing yourself to the ground and, and asking for forgiveness and repentance. Depending solely upon the mercy of God. That is the doctrine of predestination, of salvation. That we are not worthy but that is the biggest thing that we see or the lack of in in modern day churches in particularly the 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 mega churches where it is definitely a lot more leaning towards this decisive nature where you decide I've seen churches go as far as to to wear shirts that literally say I have decided when they are getting baptized I mean I'm not Totally against it, but it's lacking a lot there it's implying that we are the ones that if, that we've decided for Jesus, but the reality is and we 're about to see this very shortly that there was a decision prior to your decision of of choosing Jesus. there was a choice prior to your choosing Jesus there was a an initial choosing. Even before you, from your perspective, you chose Jesus. And that was that God chose you. I, so I have a bit of a problem with those those churches that wear those shorts. I have decided it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not right. There was a choice, but it wasn't yours first to make. But like I said, the biggest problem with this view is that we generally believe that we are good or good enough for heaven. That it would be unjust or unloving for God to send us to hell when we are not as bad as someone else. That's essentially the problem of man. Pride. The reason for why we think this way is because we compare ourselves or measure up against the wrong things we always compare ourselves with other people. We're like, well, at least I'm not like Hitler. Well, we didn't even have to go to that extreme of an example. You just could go to your your the person next to you or your, even your best friend and say, well, at least I'm not like this guy. And we begin to sound like the Pharisee who prays, at least I'm not like this tax collector. But when you look at that that story that Jesus shares, why was the, the tax collector justified? Because he threw himself at the mercy of God Forgive me, God, and he beats his chest, for I am a sinner. Do you see that that is how it works? It is, it is purely dependent upon the mercy of God. We measure up against the wrong thing when, when the standard that we should compare ourselves, the measuring stick that we should measure up against is not other fallen men, but the holy standard of God. What has he declared to be worthy of salvation? Well, nothing short of perfection. Nothing short of of keeping that that standard, that that law of God, to live a, a blameless life as how Paul once viewed himself until God showed him that that wasn't the case. But there is none, not even one who has done this, except the Son of God who became flesh in order to save us. But all of us, we fail in this. If we fail in one aspect of the law, we fail everything. But we are so quick to take credit for our own salvation by claiming that we have decided to follow Jesus. But we are so slow to take credit where credit is actually due. And that is that we are sinners deserving hell. And there is none who is good. Or good enough for heaven. We are a lot more reluctant to, to admit that. And so because God holds the right to choose or elect those whom he will save for his glory. We distort this as an unloving act and criticize him as being abusive and hateful. And, and the list goes on of as to how they describe God because of this doctrine. When the way God chooses to express his love for us is by predestining us for salvation. And that's what we see in that text that we opened up with. That has to be clearly seen in this portion because had he not, we would not be saved to begin with. He shows that he His love does not flow out from an external influence such as our behavior or goodness, but purely from his own nature. And thank God for that, because if it was dependent upon our behavior or our goodness, none of us would be saved. So it is purely through his mercy that we are saved. What do I mean by this? Simply put, if it was based on our goodness or merit, then God would not be showing us love, but would be paying a debt to us. And that's what we need to understand. That if we hold to this view that our salvation is based upon our merits, whatever that merit may look like, you can just change that word for whatever it is. Goodness, I'm good enough, I go to church, I I express the faith. Whatever it is that you say, that if you take credit and say, this is the reason why I, I should be saved. What you're saying is that God owes you salvation based upon that merit, based upon your faith, based upon your belief, based upon your goodness, based upon your deeds, whatever it is. But if that is the case, then salvation is not based on grace anymore, but of merit. And something that has been utterly clear in Scripture is that it is not based on merit, but on mercy, on grace and on the will of God. This has been established time and time again. That there is nothing in us that may persuade him to love us and yet he still willingly chose to love us. And he demonstrated that at the cross And this is the first point that I want to kind of get to here. That he demonstrates his love for us through this act of mercy. That he elects a people for himself. Based not on merit, but on mercy, on his will. Now why is this important? This affects the way we view The rest of humanity. What do I mean by this? God does not command something from his children that he himself has not shown us first. Because if we say that God has saved us because of our goodness or because of our faith or because of our love or because of whatever it is. Then if that were the case, then it would be Okay to love only your friends, your family, or anyone whom we consider worthy of our love. But that is not how God has loved us. And that is why He calls us to love our enemy. Love those who are not worthy because that is the way He has loved us. That is how He's shown us. Because can you imagine the hypocrisy of God had He not predestined us? Had He not loved us through predestination? To call us to love those who are not deserving of love when He has loved us purely because we chose Him? Or we showed that we were good enough or we expressed a belief in Him. So if we are saying that, that God is basing His election upon whether we chose Him, then what are we saying about the way we ought to love our, our enemies? I mean, that is undone, isn't it? You can't preach that if you don't believe in predestination. You can't say love your enemies if you don't believe in predestination. Because predestination teaches you that God elects, chooses to love you, not because of you, but despite you. Because you're not worthy of his love. No, it's clear that while we were his enemies, Christ still died for us. That is to say that God loved us in this way of laying down his life for us while we remained his enemies. And thus God can command us to love your enemy. Because God is the standard by which we must compare ourselves with. And that is why God commands this holy living to be to live in holiness because he himself is holy. says, be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. So the standard will always be set by God's example. And thus, we come to the realization that we are never going to be even able to come close to that. And that's the reality. And what that does is it humbles us to the floor and causes us to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God and not rely on anything else for there is nothing else that we can hold on to it is purely on his mercy by which we stand realize who God is realize who God is so the second point that I would like to kind of raise here is these accusations against God that they make. Uh, you know These accusations that God cannot be a loving God if he violates our so-called free will. This argument is one of those that gets under my skin. I have even heard preachers say that not only does God not allow himself to intervene out of some so-called respectful man's will because he's a, a gentleman, and I'm using that word, very loosely the way they describe what gentleman is, that you know because he's such a gentleman he won't impose his will over someone else's will because he's such a loving guy. you know but I've heard even preachers go as far as to say uh, that there is one thing that God or Jesus cannot do and that is override your unbelief by a very very prominent preacher a very popular preacher who literally said those words, there's one thing that Jesus cannot do and that is override your unbelief. Like he's restricted until we give him permission to save us. What absurd, what what absurdity, what stupidity to claim God was unable to work in, in the lives of people because they did not believe. If that were the case, we would have no abraham we would have no paul we would have no one but where do they get this this idea from cuz honestly it's it's just weird it's it's stupidity to say that god cannot override our unbelief like as if we could even exercise anything where do they get this from it comes from this modern day misguided teaching of uh, again going back to this decisionism or the acceptance of Christ where they teach that it is you who must make the call of believing or accepting Jesus. And one of those texts from which they draw this conclusion from is from the book of Revelation that we must open the door to Jesus because he's knocking at the door of our hearts wanting to come in. But first of all, that was a letter written to an established church, meaning that this was addressed to a people who were already saved, a body of believers already, not to non-believers who needed to be saved. And second of all, there's no mention of this heart. In that verse if anything it's more likely that it's speaking of a literal door the literal door to the church since they were relying on themselves instead of christ it comes from this modern day evangelism in which they get you know in which they get you to say this sinner's prayer to invite jesus into your heart which is not at all biblical You can't find that anywhere. Where you are encouraged to confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you shall be saved comes from Romans 10.9. But they misuse this verse as the basis for that movement while neglecting the context that surrounds that text. In a time where if you said Jesus was Lord, it implied that you did not consider Caesar to be lord and that was considered treason and you would suffer the consequence of that and that was death so picture with me being at church and then in storms in these soldiers and they put a gun to your head saying renounce Jesus or say that someone else is lord whoever is our prime minister or president or whatever and say, say that he is Lord, because that's the law right now, right? Say that he is Lord, and you say, no, shaking probably, tears streaming down your eyes, and you say, no, Jesus is Lord, and you get shot, executed in front of everyone. That is the context of that verse in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. You see the difference? Not that you go up in in front of a crowd and, and you say a little prayer and then that's it. You're done and then you can go home and live the rest of your life the way you want. No. This verse is calling you to believe in Jesus that God raised him to the point that you will be willing to die for that truth it is not just a matter of saying that jesus is the son of god or even or even say that yeah i believe in jesus no that is not what is going to save you i've heard other another preacher say that that is it you just have to believe but man they, they fail to consider that even the demons believe this to be true and there is no salvation given to them it's, they recognize him as the son of god Son of God, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You remember that? They recognize who Jesus is and yet they're not saved. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God and yet they're not saved. A me confession, a me so-called belief that Jesus is God isn't going to save you because even the demons do that. James says that. You know, you, you believe that God exists well, you do well, yeah, but consider the demons. They believe this to be true as well, but at least they have the decency to tremble before him. I mean, you see that in the story of Jesus. They trembled in fear of Jesus, they knew who he was. Oh, it goes beyond a superficial confession. Or a prayer that you've prayed. It must be God's mercy towards us. That he comes in and saves us by changing our nature. Because we are vile and on our way to hell. He loves us by predestining us for salvation. And with this I will close. I've always enjoyed this illustration. To help you understand predestination. For those who claim that God requires permission from you to save you. Who say that He won't override your unbelief. Or He's a gentleman that won't ever impose His will on you. Because that is... And I've gone as far as to say that that is rape. Like That's how far people have gone. Understand that He has loved us by predestining us for salvation. I... He shows his love through this. For those who claim that God requires permission to save us. Otherwise, God will be violating our free will. This is something that helps me understand. And I hope it helps you too. Because predestination is like seeing a child playing outside the front yard. And they run out onto the street. As the father sees that there is a truck on a collision course with his child and it's about to kill this child and as a father he runs he dashes and violently shoves his child out of the way from being hit by this truck so that that child may live. Who in the right mind will bring an accusation against that father for not respecting the free will of that child when he shoved her out of the way? Who will bring an accusation against the father saying you should have asked permission first? Who will bring an accusation against this father for saving this child's life? And yes, in the process, maybe got a bump or two. Will not that child turn and say to the father, thank you. And no, we see that most people have this attitude of saying, how dare you not ask my permission to save me? this is how far we've gone with this doctrine or the lack of accepting this doctrine. No, understand, you were incapable of saving yourself and you needed the help of the Father. No, predestination is the love of God. In love you have been predestined for salvation. That God saved you. Not because you allowed Him to. Not because you accepted Jesus into your heart. Not because you chose or decided. No. But because He showed mercy towards you. He chose to show His love By saving you. For his glory. We'll leave it there. Come join me next time. Where we'll go through scripture a little bit more. And identify this doctrine in scripture. In the Old Testament. In the New Epistles. In the New Testament Epistles. And in the words of Jesus. But until then... I pray that this has blessed you and I pray that God is glorified through this.